Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today you've got Mary Kay, Ellis, and me talking all things Browns as we always do. Before we get started, I gotta tell you about Football Insider as always, where you get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You get an exclusive newsletter every single day delivered to your inbox, written by a member of our Browns reporting team. And of course, you can get involved with our texting subscription where we'll text you with news, nuggets, we have Q&As, opportunities to come on the podcast. You can ask us things and we'll respond directly to you, not to anyone else, just directly to you. Uh, the people who are involved in it really love it. So check that out. Go to cleveland.com slash browns, click on the blue banner at the top of the page to get yourself signed up to get more information. And now here's our Wednesday podcast. Away we go on our Wednesday podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ellis Williams. And Mary Kay, you've got some topics for us to talk about. By the time people are listening to this, your post should be up on cleveland.com and they should be able to read about some of this stuff. And now we're going to talk about it. So kick us off, Mary Kay. What's our first topic? Well, we're going to start with Denzel Ward because we've talked so much about Baker Mayfield and picking up his fifth-year option or extending him in the offseason. And poor Denzel Ward just falls through the cracks on all of that, right? I mean, we completely forget that he's in the same boat. He is also eligible for the blockbuster extension, and he's also eligible to have his fifth-year option picked up. Now, the rules are different this year, so I'll explain them very briefly. When it comes to the fifth-year option under the terms of the new collective bargaining agreement, there are four categories now. The first thing to note, obviously, is that it's guaranteed right when you exercise the option, which would be for 2022. So that's the first thing to note. The second thing about these fifth-year options for this first class of 2018 is the fact that they're in four different categories. There are four different levels now. One of them, like the first, I'm not going to get into detail about all the different levels, but as you go up in level, you go up in price. The first one is basically, you know, you didn't meet your playtime threshold and whatever. The second one is Baker's in the second level where he met his playtime threshold, but he didn't make a Pro Bowl. The third one that Denzel Ward is in is he made at least one Pro Bowl in his first three seasons, which he did. And then the fourth level is that you make multiple Pro Bowls. Now, 
in the category that Denzel is in, category number three, the option number is the transition tender for 2021. Basically, the transition tender for 2021 would be about a little over $12 million for a cornerback. So that is what his option number would be for 2022 if that they decide to pick it up. Once again, that's kind of a bargain price for, for Denzel Ward if you're talking about the going rate for the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey, I believe his contract is about $20 million. And Denzel is in line, his market value is a, about $18 million. The Browns can either just pick up his option and then decide what to do about the extension, like we talk, talked about uh, on today's pod about Baker, or they can just let him go into 2021 and then play out his option year in 2022 or you do the contract extension after next year to see how it goes. There's a lot of different things that you can do. So basically that that's the bottom line is what yeah, to Den- do with Denzel. Denzel cost himself a couple million this year by, by not getting to that pro bowl. Uh, yes, he would have he he gotten the franchise tag at that, that top tier. Yes. Is it a no brainer? Do you extend, do you extend Denzel Ward? I mean, I think the fifth year option is you do the fifth year option. There's no question, but the real question is the extension. Is, right. is it a no brainer? Yeah, it it seems like it's trending that way. The Browns are going to quickly have to start prioritizing who they want to allocate their money to. And as they go into this offseason, we lay out the the players that, and we've talked about all offseason so far, that are are eligible and in this range. And Denzel, though he may not be the number one priority, I think the mixture of heightened priority and the relatively easy transition to signing him to a long-term contract makes sense. Like you don't, feel uncomfortable paying Denzel Ward that type of money. Cause when you look at the cornerback market, like Mary Kay laid out Jalen Ramsey at the top at 20 million, you have Marlon Humphrey right under that. And Marlon has made, I believe two pro bowls and an all pro team, which then, you know, by merit Denzel's resume is slightly below that. And then you have Tredavious white of the Buffalo bills at like 17, five. And then you, and then you start getting into corners like Darius Slay and uh, the Dolphins duo there, Howard and Jones in the 16-17 range. So Ward is one of those corners. And all of those guys, though, you don't necessarily hear about them in, in the in the interception categories all the time or whatnot. It, it, Denzel fills that hole of a corner where you just trust him over on that side of the field. And when you don't hear from him, it's usually a good thing. And he had, and he had said several standout plays this season. His pass breakups were among the lead leaders, at least early in the season, I remember. So Denzel's the type of guy where it's like, okay, yeah, he's not Baker Mayfield. He's not Nick Chubb. And you know what? He might, he's not even being talked about right now, like Wyatt Teller, just because of the jump Wyatt Teller took. But because of the need of the position, it is, it is probably the second most, if not tied with just the most important position in Joe Wood's defense. He wants to be able to rush the passer with four and then the cover on the back end. And Denzel's his best corn, cover guy. And then with just the way the cornerback market is in the league, you list those top five corners. You're comfortable with Denzel being beside anyone other than Jalen, Jalen Ramsey just being slightly under him. So because of need and situation, this might just be the easiest long-term contract to figure out, despite it not being as sexy as the other names we're going to talk about this offseason. 
so here's the numbers from some names you mentioned. Tredavious White signed his in September He in his age 25 season. Uh, he was drafted in 2017, a four-year contract extension. This is from over the cap, worth $69 million in new money, $55 million in total guarantees, a $10.5 million signing bonus, full salary guarantees in 2020 and 2021. Marlon Humphrey, his age 24 season, signed his extension on October 21st. His contract is five years, $97.5 million in new money, $40.3 million in full guarantee at signing an additional $30 million investing and roster bonus guarantees through the contract, bringing the total to $70.3 million. So that's kind of the range, right? I'm not even really factoring in Jalen Ramsey's contract here. He's the highest paid corner. Now, if Denzel Ward, I guess we'll throw that one out there. If Denzel Ward is looking at that kind of deal, it was a five-year, $100 million contract extension that he signed in Jacksonville. There's a lot of money there, but this is one of the premium positions, Mary Kay. Is this, is this extension to you sort of a no-brainer that you do it this offseason and, and you don't need another season to figure it out? Well, you know, I, just like in the case of Baker Mayfield, I think we can all agree that the Browns want these guys to be part of their long-term future. They want them here. They want them wrapped up and they want everybody to live happily ever after. But it's really a cap strategy is, is what you're dealing with. Once again, in the case of Denzel, maybe it's a little different than in the, in the case of Baker because, once again, he has made a Pro Bowl and you kind of know what he's going to be, right? I mean, you know what you're going to get for the next four years with him. Whereas Baker, there, there is some thought to perhaps seeing what he is in 2021 before you commit the big bucks to him, the way that the last four quarterbacks that were in his position, the way their teams did with them. So with Denzel, it almost seems like, you know, why not just go ahead and do it? But there are arguments against doing it right away. And we've talked about this before. And and one of those would be that you have to dish out all that upfront signing bonus money right away. I mean, I think that for sure, they're going to pick up the option. But with both of these guys, they have a decision to make on whether they pull the trigger on these extensions right away or whether they exercise a little bit of caution with them and take their time. And I'll be interested to to see if they approach them differently. If they say, hey, we we know what we have in Denzel. We know we've got a Pro Bowl cornerback and we know that he's going to be that for the next how many ever years. Here's your extension. Here's your $18 million a year average and off we go. Or the way that I I wrote it in the post was, you know, they can either extend them both or extend neither or extend one or the other. What do you guys think of that? If they did Denzel and not Baker. You've got to extend one. You, I mean, you, you can't just keep pushing things down the road. You've got to just start paying guys at some point. You, You paid miles already. You can't just keep playing the waiting game with guys. I'm, I'm all for just paying guys, you know, who have shown you what they can do with Denzel. Is anybody worried about the injury side of this 13 games is rookie year, 12 games, the last two years. I think it's a factor. I think it's something that you do have to look into when you are, when you are negotiating the contract and all is fair in contracts, all, all is fair. So I, I think it will come up. I mean, it, it will definitely come up and, you know, what happens in, the, in that kind of situation is 
you put a bonus in for like playing all 16 games. You know what I mean? Like you can do things like that. You can get a little bit creative with your bonuses. So they might think of something like that. Alice, I didn't give you a chance to answer Mary Kay's question, but also the, the injury question too. Yeah, the, the injuries are going to come up like Mary Kay's saying, but I don't think it's a, a deciding factor it, it, because I, it feels as if Denzel has quite a bit of leverage here. I think the market is breaking in his favor, unlike Baker Mayfield's, and I, I can get into that because I want to add to you know some stuff you guys said yesterday. Not that this is going to turn into a Baker conversation, but just when we're comparing the two markets. So with what's going on with cornerbacks is, you know, Slay and Jones proved last year the Dolphins signing and the, the Eagles corner who signed that teams are going to pay for a, a cornerback, a guy they think that can just be a shutdown guy. And even if he isn't Jalen Ramsey, there's only so many guys that you trust in coverage and man coverage and, and zone drops and just can solidify one side of the field. So I think the market is trending towards where the Browns are just going to have to pay Ward because that's what's going on. The, this It's the probably the third or fourth most important position of fo- in football. And these guys are getting paid where in comparison to what's going on in the quarterback market, I think we're dealing with a reckoning here. I mean, you know, you look at the, the a housing market bubble crash, you know, in the late 2008, 2009 range. And then you look at what's happened with like something like GameStop, like these, these things are about to burst. And I think we're headed towards that with the quarterback market where the Rams paid Jared Goff a hundred million plus and $30 million a year. And they regret it. The Eagles and Carson Wentz, clearly are wondering what the heck they did. The Niners are trying to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo and the Vikings, another hundred million dollar quarterback doesn't feel safe either. So after all of that, all of these, just pay these quarterbacks, just pay these quarterbacks. I think Baker Mayfield's timing is actually going to hurt him where now the organizations are all going to have to look inward on themselves and be like, okay, how much is it the system that's helping you and how much of it is just you and they can start having more grounded negotiations because of and Mary Kay wrote this a week ago in the fact that you have some cautionary tales in those three or four younger quarterbacks you know Kirk Cousins being the oldest but for the most part younger quarterbacks already so I think these two markets are at very different points in their NFL legacies if you will and we're seeing a reckoning coming for the quarterback market which I like the idea of the Browns waiting there because to see what happens with the market and then just having to follow what's going on in the cornerback world in the NFL, because they won't have a choice. There's not much disruption there. It is interesting that both Tredavious White and Marlon Humphrey got done either right as the season was starting or during the season. So that's, this is probably all these extensions. This is going to bleed into July into training camp, whatever that looks like and, and into the season as well. So this stuff's going to be out there for a while. Mary Kay, what was the second, the second thing? I feel like we might be handing out more of Jimmy Haslam's money here. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you guys are going to be handing out Jimmy <laughs> Haslam's, but I am trying to be judicious and save <laughs> a little bit of money and be cautious about this whole thing. You guys are like, let's just pay everybody. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm the I'm GIF. Just... I'm the Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf. <laughs> Just throwing it off the side yeah, of the why not why not the other thing to remember uh though about this whole year it's just a it's a weird year financially for everybody right because of, of covid and i think everything is going to bounce back but because of tv contracts and everything like that but the revenue is down this year the cap's going to be down this year and people are going to be making decisions this offseason 
differently than than they normally would. So it'll be very interesting to see how some of that goes. But the the next thing that I kind of threw out there was Nick Chubb and and his contract and what to do with with Nick. And he is under contract next year, the final year of his rookie deal at about $1.4 million. Okay. Obviously way low for, for Nick. So they, they can extend him in the off season, but Nick has some really, really good high powered agents and they're going to want him to get paid and really get paid. In fact, they might even want him to be the highest paid running back in the NFL when he does his new deal. That's what any agent worth his salt would be looking for heading into a new, new deal for Nick Chubb. That, that's what they would be wanting to do. Derrick Henry's average, which is that's usually the language of contracts, is you deal with that average. Derrick Henry's average is $12.5 million. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey is the highest at 16 per year. Yeah, that's his average. And then it's Zeke at 15, Kamara at 15. So those are some really, 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 really big bucks that we're talking about there, right? Again, if you're Nick Chubb's agent, you're going to say, Hey, he would have had another 1,400 yards in 2020 had he been healthy. He was second in the NFL year before that and all these other things. Like a new running back heading into a new deal, that's what the benchmark is going to be, the top, top shelf. So the Browns can either do that or they can do a couple of other things. As we know, in the world of analytics, you don't want to give a quarterback that, I mean, a running back, that kind of money. You just, you don't, that's not what analytics people generally do with running back. So they're going to have to come up with a new plan. Either they pay him that and they all move on together forward happily, or they have to come up with other ideas. One idea would be to do a creative incentive laden deal where he can make a ton of money. But in order to do that, as you get down the road in the contract, you have to play a certain amount of games. You've got to have in-game bonus, you know, per game bonuses and those kind of things. So that's one option. Kareem Hunt has a deal sort of like that. Another option would be to let him play out the contract. Like the, like the agent might just say, no, we're not, we're not going to sell for anything less than the top of the market. And his market value, by the way, is about $12 million a year. That's according to SpotRack, he's about 12 million. The other option is to let him play out his 2021 rookie year at 1.4 million next year. And then you can franchise him the year after that. And that number will probably be, I would guess somewhere in the, maybe the $12 million range. So if you did that, you'd be looking at around $14 million for two years. Nick Chubb for two years at $7 million a year is one heck of a bargain. I mean, that's a bargain. So it's a strategy, not a strategy that I necessarily think would lead to warm and fuzzy feelings for everybody involved, but it is a strategy nevertheless. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, let's simplify this. You got two options. You sign him to an extension this year, or you franchise him and talk about an extension after this year. Which one are you doing? Well, you'd be you'd be talking about the franchise year would be 2022. 
So you would have them under contract for the next two years in that scenario. And then at that point, you could see what is kind of left in the tank. You know, I mean, if, if it wasn't Nick Chubb, who like is sort of your, the face of your franchise kind of guy, and you were just playing hardball business, I think that's not a bad way to go. But I don't know if they would deal with him like that. Ellis? I do not envy Andrew Barry and Kevin <laughs> DeFans- Kevin's fancy making this decision because Mary Kay is 100% right. The, the smart thing to do is to play hardball, have him play this thing out. We already have seen that Ezekiel Elliott clearly is not worth that deal. He's making 15 annually, doesn't hit free agency until 2027. That, he, that deal is obviously not going to see its entirety. It's already a mess. Dalvin Cook, even at $12 million a year. And then Kamara and McCaffrey, both in that Zeke range, can be more defined as weapons than running backs, where Nick Chubb is a lot like Derrick Henry, where he's a traditional running back, but such a focal point of the offense. Because I can't imagine this Browns offense being its best version of itself without Nick Chubb. But there's also just too many arguments for not paying a running back like Nick Chubb and playing the long game and feelings get hurt in the long game. There's holdouts. I'm not saying this will get ugly, but I'm just wondering if this has shades of like a Melvin Gordon type situation where if you do play long ball with the long game with somebody and some hardball, you know, eventually your things don't end as pretty. And we're going to see how this contract with Delvin cook ages. We're going to see how this contract with Derrick Henry ages because Nick Chubb's up next. And it just seems like, this might be the franchise's first or Andrew Barry's real first look into how he really lays the, this team out as a, a level of importance, you know, Kareem Hunt making six and a half million dollars a year and Nick Chubb's market value being almost double that is Nick Chubb two times the player Kareem Hunt is probably not. Is Mary Kay hundred percent right about 7 million a year being a steal for Nick Chubb. It certainly is. So why would an organization not, do what's best for themselves just like the players do what's best for themselves and ride this one out it's a tough break for nick chubb but i just feel like that's where this may land unless feelings get involved so i'm looking at derrick henry here on over the cap and this might be the case for playing out the year and franchising him and negotiating after you franchised him right he is 27 right now nick chubb this season will turn 26 in december so Henry was signed to a four-year, $50 million contract. By the time you paid him, you'd have to pay him a little more than that. But it's really only a two-year deal. It's, it's not a four-year contract. It's a two-year contract. And Tennessee, if Derrick Henry burns out next year, they can move on and save $9 million. The next year after that, they can save $12.5 million. And I think that's how the Browns have to kind of look at this with Chubb. And I've said it before with him. If you can cook up, say, a four-year you know, I, I think Mixon was four years, 48. So let's say that that elevates by the time Chubb signs to four years, 56 or something, or even four year, 60. It's really only a two-year deal. That's how you have to look at it. And you need to structure it in a way that when you do this extension, it's going to be a four-year extension. Everybody's going to say you're crazy for paying a running back, but we all kind of know in the back of our minds, it's a two-year deal. And if Nick Chubb is Adrian Peterson and he can play and be effective till he's in his thirties, great. If he's starting to tail off like Zeke or someone else in three years, that's fine too. You, you made him happy. You gave him his money. 
And now you're going to have some flexibility down the road. I think I've kind of said in the past, you do it this year and, and you kind of pay for those prime years and see where you are. But maybe the Derrick Henry route is the way to go where you slap the franchise tag on him. You negotiate a new deal. Uh, you get him paid and you give yourself some flexibility down the road with him. Because I do think Nick Chubb is valuable, but at the same time, we say it every single time a running back comes up, this guy's different. This is the guy you have to sign. And every single time we say that, it's never the guy that was different and it's never the guy that you had to sign. So it's a tough decision. Yeah, and it is a tough decision, knowing that you could keep him for two years at, at that price, at $7 million, without having to pay a huge upfront signing bonus either. That's it. You just pay him the franchise number after this year and you've kept him for those two years and then you can decide what to do with him after that. So, you know, this is where it comes in where this is a business. But once again, his representatives are definitely, you know, they're going to they're going to play hardball on their side too. These guys are really good at their jobs and they're going to want Nick Chubb to get paid as much as he possibly can and have him get as much guaranteed money as he possibly can. They're, they're not going to settle. This will be an interesting negotiation. I wish I could be sitting in on this one. Don't you guys? Yeah. Well, if they're going to ask for Christian McCaffrey money, that might change my mind. Christian McCaffrey had 2,392 scrimmage yards a couple years ago. So if he's asking for the kind of money you'd give an all around back who can put up 2000 yards on the ground and in the air combined, I might shy away from that a little bit. Mary Kay, what's your third topic? The third topic is kind of knowing that you have to go into this offseason coming away with a pass rusher. And it can't really just be any pass rusher. I think it has to be a proven pass rusher. Because even though you can draft one and hope that he turns out to be somebody great, I mean, they've got the number 26 overall pick. And generally, you're not going to find one of the best pass rushers in the draft at number 26 unless you're really, really, really good. Of course, you can find them there. You can even find them in the second round. But you, you can't count on that. I mean, the best ones are going to go really early. The sure things are going to go really early. I don't think you can really count on, on finding one in the draft. So therefore, I think you're going to have to look to trade for one. Or I think you're going to have to look to sign a free agent. And there are some names out there. There, there once again, are some, some names. You've got the potential to possibly sign a J.J. Watt. I mean, to trade for a J.J. Watt, who's heading into the final year of his deal at $17.5 million and unhappy, supposedly, in Houston. And then you've got Bud Dupree, who's about to be a free agent, coming off of torn ACL surgery. You've got your own Olivier Vernon coming off a ruptured Achilles. You've got Yannick Nagakaway, who they were interested in last year, but the production wasn't there. Got Jadavian Clowney again. So there are some names available. Somehow, some way, they either have to trade for one or I think they have to sign one. So you've got somebody to pair with Miles. You left out, you left out my guy, Mary Kay. Which one again? Trey Hendrickson. Oh, there you go. He's yeah. going to cost a lot of money. But if, right. if, you're going, if you're going free agent shopping, that's one of the guys that I've circled. But yeah. I agree. They're, they're going to need to do something about edge rusher. And I don't think Olivier Vernon's the answer. Well, what do you guys think about 
the notion of not leaving it to chance in the draft and making sure that you get someone that you know can get there. And I think you need an eight or nine sack guy the way that Olivier Vernon was. So Olivier before his surgery, Bud Dupree before their surgeries, you know what I mean? Like, I think you need a guy like that. And I, I don't know. What do you think? What do you guys think about J.J. Watt? So this is becoming a, a philosophical, like team building question for the Browns, I think, because I'm having a hard time figuring out, like, we just, we just spent the first half of this podcast handing out the Haslam's money. And now we're doing it again in free agency. Like they've got so many players they need to pay in-house. I don't either know enough about the cap or don't see a way that they can then go be high spenders like they were last year in free agency again this year. I think this team is heading towards a pay in-house and nail the draft. So I think the way they're going to solidify that edge rushing spot, Mary Kay, defensive end spot, we should say, because it's a traditional 4-3. Joe Woods is looking for a 6-5, you know, 6-4 to 6-6, 255-275-pound defensive end. That's the prototype you're looking for in that spot. And to me, I think they package one of those third or fourth round picks, maybe both, and move up in the first round and grab one of these guys who there's probably going to be a consensus at the top for maybe one guy, but then the number two pass rusher just to, and we still have so much so far to go with how these, these draft boards start working out and without a combine, I'm kind of theorizing there won't be all that much of a consensus by the time we get to late April anyway. But if Andrew Barry trusts his scouts and they trust the process and they find an edge rusher, they really like, I think it saves them money and takes care of a position of need and stays to their core philosophies of drafting and retaining in-house talent and land and moving up, say, 10, 12 spots for one of the premier defensive ends rather than exploring for agency again and a guy like J.J. Watt or flirting with Javion Clowney or anything like that that's going to tie you up in the 14 to $16 million range when you already have. I mean, if we made a list right now of Browns players who either are making or deserve between – 13 and 16 million dollars the the list i mean when we hit double digits it feels like it's starting with the offensive line i mean all five of those guys are are, are in going to be in that spot outside of the jedrick wills rookie contract so i just think there's a ton of guys that need to get taken care of in-house which would surprise me if they paid in free agency but mary Kay, you've gone through far more off seasons than i so actually i want to ask you this and i won't hold you to this because we still got a long ways to go till april but would are you leaning more towards they find a defensive end in the first round or they find one in free agency to fill this void that we're talking about? Like, which one would you lean towards today? Well, my, my, I would look for one on someone else's roster or in free agency first, because you just never know how the draft is going to play out. You don't know if you're going to be able to like, what if you put all those eggs in that basket and then you get to draft day and you thought you could go up to eight and somebody takes your guy at yeah. seven, you know, like the best pass rushers are gone by that time. So I kind of think that you have to at least have a backup plan so that you can find some, cause I think it's really important. And I think that they've shown that they're willing to pay an edge rusher. They, they were willing to pay Jadavian Clowney more than anybody in the NFL was, was willing to pay him, I think this year. So they're willing to put, money in into this position and that's where dan's guy comes in you know maybe they are willing to do that now if you do something like that you you've got to something's got to give 
right? Ellis, like you said, you can't have a roster full of double digit million guys. Now, Olivier Vernon will be gone. So that was $11 million that you paid him this year, but you would have to shave other places. And that's where you start to wonder, okay, do they think about trading Odell Beckham Jr.? And that's a, that represents a cap savings of $15 million. If you can get somebody to take that salary off their hands, that gives you an opportunity to go out and sign a premier edge rusher. The, the other thing about a, a rookie is, I mean, you would hope that the second best one or the third best one is going to be able to come in and give you, if you're going to take them in the first round, you're going to want that guy to give you nine, you know, nine sacks, lots of pressures, lots of impact plays. You would hope that you're going to get that out of that guy, but you, you know, you might be better served by trying to identify somebody that has proven that over time. And you know, you're going to get that out of that guy, especially somebody that you think you can plug into this defense. Maybe somebody that Joe Woods knows or somebody else that somebody on this staff knows well enough, or just somebody that they played against or whatever. I think there's, and I think they showed that last year. They were, they kind of wanted to go with a veteran, the Yannicks, the Jadavians, guys like that, that they knew what they were going to get. I'm all for a pass rusher in the first round too, because you're going to need to groom a guy. Like even if you get an older guy, like a, like a JJ Watt, you're still going to need your next guy. So I would never, uh, I would never overlook the opportunity to draft a premier position such as edge rusher in the first round of the draft. If your guy is there, definitely worth the pick, but I think I would lean toward proven guy. And here's the test for this coaching staff in front office. It's still fully 100% in the honeymoon phase here. You're a good football team. You're not going to have high draft picks. So you you're sitting at 26 you better be able to find a guy at 26 that can play whether he's ready to go this year, whether, you know, the coaching staff needs to develop him and grow him and turn him into something, right? Trey Hendrickson, as an example, I think he was a third round pick, right? It took a little time, but they developed him into a, a 13 sack guy in, in new Orleans. If this team is what we think they're going to be, you're not going to have many top 10 picks coming your way. So this is where it gets interesting. This is where these guys get tested now mm-hmm. because you don't get to pick your left tackle at number 10 anymore you got to pick your guy at 26 or 27 and you got to find value in the third round. You've got to do what the the saints have gotten really good at. Now the saints have had some high picks to play with, to be fair, but you've got an expensive roster and you've got to draft guys. So this is where it starts to get, this is the cycle of the NFL. Now, you know, you've done everything right to this point, but now it gets hard because it's not set up for you to be successful anymore. You're going to have to pay guys. You're going to get into cap crunches. Your draft picks aren't going to be very high. And so it'll be really interesting to kind of see how this front office and this coaching staff move forward from here, because we think that they're going to be, I mean, they're built to be successful here, right? You're an analytics driven front office. So you should be able to kind of pinpoint the things you're looking for in a pass rusher at number 26 and say, we think this guy profiles to be really good in a few years. But at the same time, like you said, Mary Kay, they got to have a guy for next year too. Mm -hmm. So they have to balance those two things. Dan, I completely agree. They're at a point now where they can't miss. If Baker Mayfield's your guy, if Miles Garrett's your guy, if Denzel Ward's your guy, if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunter are your guys, if that offensive line is solidified, now we're talking about the margins. And that means that they can't miss on these picks because to go from good to great are the teams that 
nail those spots. The Chiefs have had successful drafts, clearly. I mean, they have the number one tight end, the number one wide receiver, and the number one quarterback in football. And I think only one of them came in the top 10, and that would have been Mahomes at, at 10, and they traded up for that. So they've nailed it. And I could go down the list. The Saints are, have nailed their drafts, so on and so forth. That's where they are now. And I'm confident they'll be able to do that. But you're right. We were in the honeymoon phase, and they cleaned up some of that stuff in free agency and did well in their draft. But now they need to not miss. And I'll say this about going into the draft without a, a, having a, a spot solidified. They did that last year at left tackle. Of course, they addressed it with Conklin at right tackle. But left tackle, they left pretty open knowing likely someone by 10 would be there I think and I just want to get this on the record early in in February here that I think the Browns best case scenario draft night ends with them finding their Jedrick Wills in the teens but as a edge rusher obviously not a left tackle and trading up and they find that guy in the 14 to 18 range and they can clean it up that way because I I just I wonder how this team like you said Mary Kay starts paying guys if you do bring J.J. Watt in, and then that makes Odell Beckham expendable and now where your explosive playmakers. It's just they're at a point where they need to build through the draft and not try to grab a free agent and cut something else off in the process. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and as you guys both have mentioned and pointed out, now is where the personnel department, they're really going to show their worth and they're going to earn their money because now you have to be like the New England Patriots, where you have to have sustained success, right? You've got to be like the Steelers, where you're contending every year without being able to pick in the top 10 of the draft. And there are plenty of teams that have done it, and it's certainly not easy, and they have different ways of doing it. I mean, the Patriots would always go out and find, you know, role players and cast-offs and, and different guys that could come in and do one thing for you really well, including like plenty of Browns cast offs, right? On defense and things like that. But this is where Andrew Barry and the, and the personnel department are, are going to have to start making their hay and showing that they have amazing talent evaluation skills and that they can find the diamonds in the rough. It's pretty easy to pick the best left tackle in the draft. Not easy, but I mean, it's a lot easier to pick the best quarterback, the best pass rusher, the best left tackle. Now you've got to pick the third best, the fourth best, the fifth best, and we'll, we'll see what they're all about. Ask the Eagles about Justin Jefferson and, and Jalen Rager. It gets tough. And you're, you are, I mean, they are going to miss. It's, it's football. They're going to miss. They're not going to hit on every pick. They've got to be able to find more than, than they don't. That'll do it here for this segment. We're going to bring Tim Bielik on to talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl after the break. Okay, Dan and Ellis back with you here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, and we also welcome on Tim Bielik. We're going to talk a little bit of draft and specifically the Senior Bowl. Tim, how are you? Doing all right. Um, this is a fun time of year, I think, for people like me, even who even if they're paying attention to a team that's good, draft is still interesting, so it's kind of fun to talk about this stuff. Okay, well, let's get to it. The Senior Bowl uh, took place last week in Mobile, very different-looking Senior Bowl. One of the things that, that I really like about the whole week is there's usually like one or two guys that really stand out. You know, I'm thinking back to when I was down there, I think it was 2017. Tredavious white was like one of the best players there. So you kind of pick through who's there. You pick through kind of how they perform, but some, there's usually like one or two guys that are just, Whoa, that guy was the best player there. That guy was really good, whatever it is. And that player ends up usually being pretty good and usually being a pretty safe pick. Let's just start there. Who was kind of the big winner? 
mobile in your mind this year? Seems like the consensus guy based on everything you see was going to the Mac Dwayne Eskridge, the receiver from Western Michigan. Obviously he came in with a, with a lot of talk, you know, about his explosiveness, his speed. There's always that question, you know, a guy that plays in the Mac, how does that translate when going up against power five competition? Well, we got an answer. Basically all the reports you read that basically said that he was uncoverable, just dynamic speed, which is, which certainly helps boost his stock. The only question I think with Eskridge is he turns 24 in March. And I, I would imagine that's a concern for some NFL teams. Cause I mean, by the time his rookie contract's over, he's going to be about 27, 28 years old. And you wonder how much of a ceiling he has, but if you're looking for a guy right now, he shows he's a guy that can provide that juice. Yeah. Tim, I, one thing that really caught my eye about Dwayne, of course, is the explosiveness and whatnot. And I, every year in the draft, there seems to be this trend of trying to find a player like someone who's in the Super Bowl or has had a dominant playoff run. I think of the, the tight end run, you know, a guy like Eric Ebron goes, I think, fifth or sixth overall because of all the Super Bowls the Patriots making with Gronk. And now I'm, I'm thinking and a little, I might be a little worried that the NFL is trending towards finding now that next Tyreek Hill. And I know Tyreek Hill's been in the league plenty, and this has been a trend probably a year ago also. But that's what I – I see when I look at Dwayne Eskridge. So I'm, I want to ask you before we get into some other winners, do you see that as a mold or do we, do we need to be careful about just labeling guys as a Tyreek Hill type and actually evaluating them as pure receivers, which would tend to mean that smaller receivers shouldn't be drafted as high and aren't as successful. I would think you'd want to stay away from labeling a guy as the next Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill is such a unique player. It's not just that it's not just because of his speed, but he's surprisingly strong for a guy of his size. So I, as, as popular as it is to follow trends and the NFL is a copycat league, as we all know, it's a dangerous thing that when you see a player like Eskridge, who certainly has explosiveness, dynamic speed, like you kind of have to treat it as its own, as its own individual case, instead of just trying to say, Oh, is he Tyreek Hill? Is he Antonio Brown? As far as a player goes, I don't know if putting players in boxes is such a great idea. Let me ask you guys this because else I know you want to ask about other winners, but I just want to touch on this real quick because we're talking about a receiver. Is, is there a possibility the Browns could be looking receiver at 26? And is this someone who could potentially be there at 26 or his, has his stock risen above that at this point? I don't know if I would take a receiver 26. I was kind of banding about this idea. The only way I think I would take a first round receiver is if you trade Odell Beckham. I know that's, that's something Mary Kay's written about. I, that's the only scenario where I would really do it, where you can take a defensive player in the teens and then come back in the 26. Maybe you take Eskridge. Maybe you also take another speedster like Kadarius Tony of Florida at 26 if you want to go that route. Given their needs, I would almost stick with defense unless you get another first-round pick there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, Tim, I want to stay on Eskridge just for a little bit longer because I think this is a name we're going to keep hearing. I've been following – you know, the reports read it at like this. You know, Eskridge first was a guy outside the, the top 50, you know, more of a third-round pick type of guy. Then he gets all builds all this hype leading up to the Senior Bowl. Now you know his name. Now he's probably in the top 50. And then he has the Senior Bowl run, and now he probably, to Dan's question, is – being projected as a top 32 guy potentially in the first round is that too fast of a climb is it is it a trend that maybe you know like like a stock that's getting inflated there's just too many people that are on on this young man right now you know like I think 
a few years back, Braxton Miller had a pretty successful senior bowl and, you know, we haven't heard from him in the NFL. Is there merit for him being a first round pick or even to take Odell Beckham Jr. out of it and just keep this with Eskridge? Is that grade being inflated by what's just the hype of a senior bowl performance that he had? It certainly can be hyped up. I mean, there's been so many times where we've seen a guy just fly up draft boards based on what he does at the senior bowl, what he does at the combine, his pro day, you name it. And I'm just looking at his stats. He's never, he's never had a season with more than 800 yards this season, 34 receptions, 784 yards, eight touchdowns. He had an 85 yarder. Those are outstanding numbers, but is it enough for me to put him ahead of a Terrace Marshall Jr. or a Kadarius Tony or a Rashad Bateman or Rondale Moore? I don't know yet because those guys have gone up against power five competition day in and day out and have showed a lot. It, it's always going to come down to the teams, how the individual teams feel that skill set he has is it's dynamic and you always want more speed. I feel like when it comes to football is the same thing saying you can't have enough speed. is like in the NBA saying you can't have enough shooting. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I agree. And I think we're in the same boat here where Eskridge is probably though a, a flashy weapon, there's some more traditional wide receivers that have similar traits and are more a rounded product. So um, how about some other winners, Tim? I'll go on defense. I'll start off with, with defense. I'm going to go Richie Grant, the safety from UCF. Now I look at the safety class. I'll write about it later this week into next week as, as I have a series coming that I start on Tuesday, ranking the position groups based on how strong I think they are. I have safety lower just because I don't know if there's a first round pick in the group, but there's a lot kind of in that day two mix grants, one of those guys. And what really stood out about him based on all the things you read, he's really good in coverage. And if you're looking for a really good versatile guy who can play that center field position, grant seems like that guy. And even one report I read raved about how well he played on special teams that he's had, had hundreds of snaps on special teams. And that can only help his stock when you're a young player coming in, you know, you got to pay your dues early and, Coaches find out you're, you're good at special teams. That's like, all right, that, that probably helps him out a little bit. Yeah, the special teams thing is, is important. And it's something that I think Browns fans should keep in mind because is this, you know, this roster, the Browns roster looks pretty good. And obviously there's areas on the defense where guys can come in and play right away. If they took a safety, that's not necessarily the case. So if he can come in and contribute on special teams, that helps his case a little bit the Browns could kind of look at him as a guy that could be an extra safety for, you know, however they looked and it doesn't have to be him necessarily could be another safety in the draft, somebody like that. But yeah, what these guys are willing to do on special teams, if you're going to be a rookie in the NFL, you better be willing to come in and contribute and guys that do it in college that are talented, that are NFL draft prospects. That tells you a lot that they're, when they're willing to go out there and play teams in college. Completely agree with that, that the special teams is going to be something that will add to a prospect as the Browns add pieces, because, you know, we just got done in our last segment talking about how the Browns are at a point where they're going to fill in the margins. And that's the type of player you need uh, in the you know second to third round range, as we're talking about some of these safeties, like Tim mentioned, that aren't first round products, but the depth of the position probably lives in the rounds two to four there. And that's one thing uh, about Grant. I've read that he's, he's around the ball. He, he attacks it. He, he's always punching for it. And just the type of safety you want flying around the field. So I think looking for that safety who is going to be a number two or three guy, but also be on special teams, but then can then be deployed in sub packages is exactly what the Browns are looking for. Tim, I got to ask you, this is a position that I know a lot of Browns fans are looking at. I don't know if any players are looking at, do you have any linebackers on your list? If you don't, you can give us some other names. 
but were there any linebackers that stood out? Yeah, one guy that stuck out was Jabril Cox from LSU. Again, we go into the LSU well. I know, obviously, Andrew Berry did that a year ago with Grant Delpit and Jacob Phillips. Cox was a guy who came in. He grad transferred from North Dakota State into LSU this year, played very well. And the thing that sticks out and what should excite Browns fans if he's available, he was really good in coverage. And how many times have we talked about the, have you guys talked about the Browns having problems covering tight ends? And, you know, if they want to go far, you got to cover Mark Andrews, you got to cover Travis Kelsey, among other good tight ends. So you need a guy who's adept at that. And Jabril Cox certainly looks like a guy who, at least from what he showed the senior bowl, has an ability to do that. Yeah, I, I like that name in Jabril Cox. He's a guy that I've been reading and, and watching a little bit about. And like you said, long, can cover 6'3", 233 is what I have written down for height and weight. He's a guy that falls right into that Jacob Phillips prototype that I think Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and Joe Woods are going to clearly try to identify guys that play sideline to sideline, are lengthy, can be versatile. And, and he lands right there. I will say this about Jabril Cox. Uh, I read that his run defense is – not a strength and that would make sense a guy who can play coverage and is longer and because the Browns are in a real interesting spot here they need to build the win of their division which means get faster but teams like the Ravens who can run downhill may not be as advantageous for linebackers like Cox where playing a team like the Chiefs you're going to need someone on the field like that so when it comes to looking for linebackers that can that fill that void. I wonder if they're going to look for a, a more complete package linebacker, which to me means you're investing that first round pick in a linebacker, or if they're going to be okay with having more situational type backers, having Sony Taki Taki on the field at times. And then a guy like Jabril Cox or Jacob Phillips. And the big school thing. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Tim. The Browns focused on some big schools last year. And I'm curious if that's going to be a trend or if not. Okay. Give me one guy that you haven't mentioned, whether it's relevant to the Browns or not. Give me one other guy that you really love from the senior bowl. Well, the, the hype machine, certainly on Quinn Miners, the interior lineman from Wisconsin, Whitewater. For those of you fans that know Mount Union or paid attention to them, you don't need me to explain who Wisconsin Whitewater is. But these are big occasions for guys who are Division Three guys, because especially this year, because they didn't have a season, you know, Power five and the, the FBS had the season division three did not. So Quinn Miners had to, had to train a little interestingly. They showed this on the NFL network and of his workout montage. And it almost looked like something out of an action movie. You know, he's doing bench presses in the forest. He's like got some gas tank or whatever. He's like shoulder carrying in his left arm running uphill. And it's, it's tremendous. It's, it's interesting how, you know, he got ready for this and what sticks out is just, he was extremely strong. And I think if you're going to be a division three prospect, get to the senior bowl, especially with no combine this year, you got to show up and impress. And he certainly did that. Yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about this kid. It, it has blown my mind watching some of the clips that I've seen from him. I played college football in that same conference. He's from the WIAC, all the Wisconsin schools. I discovered his tape while looking for some Patrick Jones highlights from Pitt and he ended up being a guy I'm just like oh wow I mean he dominates that rep and then as you start the deep dive you don't really need to go that far into your dive to find a lot of impressive film on him and and then aside from his superhero like workouts he's got with a Wisconsin kid written all over him and that's exactly it Tim it's about his strength and his ability to move his feet and being able to do that without playing in a season. I mean, this, this is a story to watch and a guy who, I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, do you 
has he jumped into a, a second round, even a first round type of guy would already? Um, I feel like that's too early to tell. I mean, I'll be okay. looking at interior offensive linemen a lot more. I don't know if he's as good as a guy like Wyatt Davis. I think he's still a ways from that, but it's a pretty solid interior line group. Maybe he's worked his way in day two, certainly early day three, but this okay. is the time when you're, lesser known guys from smaller schools make big leaps. We saw that a year ago with guys like Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois or Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. They were FCS and division two respectively. They were both second round picks and they performed pretty darn well last season as rookies. And Browns fans might hear interior offensive linemen and think, Oh, we're fine there. Browns are fine. But Ellis, like you and I talked about in the first half of this pod with Mary Kay, the roster gets expensive. And the offensive line in particular is going to get expensive, especially when it's time for Jedrick Wills to come up for his contract. So they're going to have to find guys, first of all, to be depth. And I'm not necessarily saying it's going to be him, but they're going to have to find guys who can be those interior depth guys. But also as that line gets more expensive and they have to make tough decisions, they better have somebody in waiting in the wings to step in and take over. So maybe that's a day three sort of thing like they did last year with Nick Harris. But we also know this team is going to follow its board a lot. I, couldn't agree more about this team identifying the issues that it had up front after the depth, because we saw what happens when one or two of those guys go down and you like defensive end, you can never have enough linemen, especially interior linemen. So it's a spot both, I think on the defensive side of the ball and offensive side of the ball, this team's going to add interior pieces that won't be starters, but are going to be again on the fringe and in the, those margins, just in case break, you know, break glass in case of an emergency. <laughs> and, and, and the guys that Tim's have laid out is are, are capable of doing that. Okay. Tim, you were telling us a little bit about this before we let you go. Tell us what you're kind of working on in these position by position posts you're doing. What I'm doing is, is kind of starting to really dive into this class as far as like the, the most talented players. So what we, what I did was I went through the draft class, you know, position by position, there's 11 in total. I mean, as much as we love special teamers, they're not getting mentioned in this, but what I did was I kind of went through ranked the 11 position groups based on, you know, top end talent as well as depth kind of combined together. So far, I've already talked about the two I think are the bottom right now, which is tight ends and defensive tackles. And you'll see in defensive tackle on Wednesday, I talked about Christian Barmore from Alabama, who may have put himself back into the first round after his play in the playoff. I also mentioned Davion Nixon, who had a 71-yard pick six against Penn State. I'm looking at kind of how those stack up, kind of how the Browns fit where those where they're looking for needs in those areas, as well as introducing people some top five the top five players based on some consensus boards right now and where they could go. So this is a series that'll run two plus weeks. I'm not going to give away, give spoilers as far as like who's ranked really high. But I think if you, if you all say is if you know the class pretty well, you can probably guess what position groups are one and two. I'm going to guess that a few of those posts as well, you're going to log on to cleveland.com slash Browns. And we're going to have that little blue bar at the top. That says football insider. If you want to read those posts, you should go check out football insider, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click on that blue banner, get yourself signed up. So you don't miss out on getting to read those posts as we get you ready for the draft. We're going to do that on this podcast all the way through up until the draft, whatever that looks like here at the end of April. And hopefully it'll be happening in Cleveland and look somewhat like we've seen in drafts past. Okay, so that'll do it for our Wednesday edition of the podcast. Ellis, you guys have a got to watch the tape coming up again. It's been a little while, right? We do. We're back. We're recording tomorrow to go up uh, on Thursday, I believe. So, yeah, we're back with an off-season model, and we'll lay that all out for you guys uh, coming soon. 
All right. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you get that right in your feed. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your pods. Tim, thanks for joining us. Ellis, thanks for sticking around. And of course, we had Mary Kay on earlier uh, in the first half of the pod. We will talk to all of you guys tomorrow.